the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the dagger? Welcome, folks, to 98.1 WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. This is the Mac and Main Show. Stephen McAvoy, Jack Main from his couch, I think. Jack, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, uh, unfortunately, I've been placed in, uh, in isolation. Um, nothing, to, nothing to be too concerned about, I hope. Um, but, you know, having to do the show via phone this week. I missed last week. So I, I, you know, I had to, I had to make that up some. I mean, honestly, it's better off that you're over the phone than you are uh, not here. It was kind of crazy with me not knowing how to operate the board and relying on literally nothing in order to to uh, do it because you were hosting uh, Sports Pause. But you know, yeah. I, I mean, hey, uh, if Kevin Millar and Chris Rose can do this uh, over the TV for IT or can whoever else do it, honestly, I think we can do. Yeah, there's no. So, I mean, I guess let's just kind of hop right into it. We have a whole slew of things to talk about. There's the NFL, the World Series is rolling around. We have uh, NBA free agency, and then I have some uh, some fun pop culture stuff for you that I want you to kind of break down for me and give you an opinion on. So let's. Right. So you know what? Let's start right in the NFL. So uh, I think that the the three headlines in terms of New York is that. Uh, Bill Belichick is looking around like where, like like what happened. The Giants finally got a win, which means they're going to take an offensive lineman for the eighth straight year in the first round, and the Jets still suck. So, where do you want to begin with this one, Jackie? I mean, like I, I want to start with the problems that I'm I'm seeing on my team. Of course. So, yesterday, you know, we're watching the uh, we're watching the Patriots game, and you know, obviously, when you don't practice. You know, they didn't have their full slate of practices for, you know, the past two weeks because of the whole, because of their situation. You know, they had what both Gilmore and Newton test positive for Corona. And that means they were out for an extended period of time. But that also meant that the team had to shut down all of their facilities while they were, uh, while those guys were out. And, And it just kind of shows that, you know, that, that definitely was, was, was made, you know, apparent in that loss against Denver, losing 18 to 12 and not giving up a touchdown is pretty remarkable. And it's, and it's like, you know, you take away the win and a loss that's that bad because, you know, the Patriots scored more touchdowns than their opponent and they couldn't get a freaking win. It's just like, how in the world does that happen? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> look, it beats me, man. It beats me too, but um, you know, I think that the the Patriots had a chance to go ahead and and tie the game, or, or no, well, so they lost eighteen to twelve, so uh, they had a chance to go ahead and actually win the game. Um, you know, with the extra point, so uh, had they were they were had, they were like inside the twenty two ish yard line, mm-hmm. they had a fourth and ten uh, with under a minute to go, and Cam Newton couldn't complete the pass to kill Harry. There was definitely some talk over the Patriots Twitter spiel that had Tom Brady been in that situation, he would have completed that pass, you know, 43 year old Tom Brady or 22 year old Tom Brady doesn't really matter. And I think that there's some, there's some real truth to that. You know, if, if Tom, you know, if, if Tom Brady were in that situation, I really had a lot of faith in the fact that he would have been able to convert that fourth and 10. I really do. And Cam kind of threw the ball 
rather errantly. You know, at least give your guy a shot to catch it. He didn't exactly do that uh, in, the, in the past, lose the game. But it still begs the question because I, I saw it on uh, on Barcel Sports. KFC was talking about how how what what was the status quo for so long in uh, in New England was the uh, Belichick Brady tandem. But could we really blame this game on Cam Newton prior to prior to his COVID scare? He was a he, not a shell of himself, but he was what we expected from him. The, the, the first two or three weeks of the year, putting up 200, 300, 300 yards, rushing the ball, scoring from, from both the, the passing game and the running game. He was a, yeah. he, he was a quality quarterback in 86 QBR. So it, is Absolutely. it one game that, that Cam blew it, or could we expect possibly a, a repeat or just a, a downward spiral at this point? I mean, I would honestly look at it from a standpoint of, you know, Cam has to take responsibility. And mm-hmm. if he did, again, the Seahawks lost. But in this situation, you know, he didn't play his best. And I don't know what it was. I didn't really dive into too many of the details with, like, the Denver, you know, what their defensive scheme was that really that really set Newton apart, you know, or, or like, really diverted Newton's attention. But – you know, Newton, you know, he turned the ball over a couple times. You know, that wasn't his fault. You know, he threw two tipped interceptions. Uh, that's never the quarterback's fault. But he also, you know, he also is has been their top offensive player this year. And it's been really fun to watch the Patriots offense be exciting. Because, I, you know, there was points in the season last year where I was not confident in, in any drive that the Patriots would score a touchdown. And now I am once again confident that Cam Newton uh, and the Patriots can score, uh, you know, 30 points a game. I was not confident in this offense last year. Oh, well, clearly you, were, you weren't even confident coming into the year considering the, uh, the, talk, the talk we had on Cam Newton. I was buying, you were selling. But look, exactly. uh, again, though, Cam Newton, though, if you, if you look at the overall season numbers, 70%, roughly 70% completion percentage. He has 800 yards, two TDs to two picks. That that was from uh, the game yesterday. But at the end of the day, it's, it, I mean, and you're right. Cam Newton being the number one option on this team, it's, it, it almost comes into question, are, should we expect the Patriots to keep on doing this? Should he, is he going to be a shell of himself again? I don't know if it was because he didn't, uh, he had a, he had a shortened practice because of the COVID scare, or even if he did ha- have a full slate of practice, where's the where's the laps coming from? Because from what I'm seeing is is two totally different quarterbacks. I'm, I'm seeing the the 2015 14 quarterback, 2014 15 quarterback, and Cam Newton the first three weeks minus the Seahawks loss. But even then, then they're still tight in the game. And then post COVID scare, it's it's almost like he's kind of fallen to fallen into that shell. I'm, I'm concerned. Jack? I mean, I'm not yeah. as concerned, but I definitely could see this turning into something that we definitely would like to avoid mm-hmm. moving forward, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, progressing forward to the other team in the AFC East, that's absolutely uh, cheeks. <laughs> the New York Jets, I, I want to debate this with you for, uh, for Hot Tech. I've had a lot of rumblings with, uh, with all, of, all of my Jets friends back home who... At this point, it's it's almost inevitable that unless the Texans manage to manage to blow up blow up more games, the Jets are going to have the number one pick in the draft. So this is more of a debate for uh, for you and I. Do you? And you're going to start here. Should if the if the Jets get that first overall pick, 
We all know Trevor Lawrence is probably the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck uh, coming into the draft. He very well could opt in if he finds out, opt into a fourth year of college if he finds out that the Jets are going to have the number one overall pick by week 14 or so. But if they have the number one pick, do they take Trevor Lawrence or do they trade it? You know, if I'm the Jets, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to give up on Sam Darnold yet. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. I remember when Josh Allen was possibly going to be the number one pick. Um, and the Browns were suiting up to be the team that was going to be in that spot. And the and there was talk that Josh Allen wasn't going to declare for the draft. Obviously, that didn't happen. And obviously, he didn't go number one you know, at all. You know, he went to the Bills and Baker went number one. So, you know, I, I think it would be a for Trevor to declare a fourth year or for him not to declare for the draft. But uh, if I'm the Jets, you know, I'm taking the best available option uh, in the draft. And if it's Trevor Lawrence, it's Trevor Lawrence. But also I think that you are going to get some sweet, sweet offers for that number one pick, you know, whoever ends up with because there are many teams out there right now who could benefit from a change of scenery at quarterback, mainly, uh, mainly the Bears. And then also possibly uh, if the Rams want to move on from Jared Goff, who hasn't been very good as well. Uh, and then and then also you have Indianapolis who could possibly want to uh, to, to slide into that position as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all 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 questions that we will have answers to moving forward here shortly. But I would not be surprised if the Jets trade that pick. But I really do think that if they do. They should just take the best available player, who would be Trevor Lawrence. Okay, so so here so here's my issue with this. So, and look again, I'm not Woody Johnson, I'm not Adam Gase, I'm not uh, Joe Douglas. But w- when you look at the number one overall pick, I, I understand Trevor Lawrence is a mega pick. It's almost a home run. He's going to pan out in the NFL. But I'm still I'm still I'm still speculative. So I have three problems with with the the, the Jets and the number one overall pick. Now now let's preface this. There's a reason why we're having this conversation. The Jets were, were were outshot tremendously by the Miami Dolphins, who last year there was question marks about whether or not they would even come close to winning a game. And yet they lost 24 to nothing, got absolutely shut out. And what seems like the Adam Gase train is going to be just the most inexcusable tank job in football. It's going to be the most subliminal because they're going to say, oh, yeah, the Jets are going to if you if you see the way they practice, it doesn't it doesn't result to on the field, whatever. So I have three problems with this number one overall pick. Number one is Trevor Lawrence himself. So I get it. Trevor Lawrence, Clemson, a, a elite team under Dabo Sweeney, has put out more first round, possibly more first round draft picks in the last three years than Alabama has, the number one team team in the in the world. But meanwhile, look at the conference, the ACC. You're playing essentially outside of outside of this year, where North Carolina is mysteriously a top ten team. Almost a bunch of cupcakes. You're playing the Vanderbilt to the world, the Dukes, which, again, good schools, but you're not Alabama playing Florida and LSU and Georgia and Michigan and you're out of conference. You're playing these smaller market schools that are really basketball schools at the end of the day who have a a mid-tier, maybe if you're going to crack the top 25, it'll be 20 to 25, if anything. And then, it's, and then it's Clemson. Clemson's playing in a league, a league amongst boys. And then once you go into the playoffs, that's really the only point that you, that, that, that you have to turn on the Jets. And even then, they're blowing out everybody. When they played Notre Dame, they beat them by 30. Whoever they played uh, last year or two years ago, they beat them by, by, by 27. And then, and then, of course, the final. We see what they've done against Alabama. They managed to, to upset them. And 
I get it. It, it. it still warrants the question, even when Andrew Luck was drafted out of Stanford, the Pac-12 isn't as, isn't as dominant as the SEC. How could we believe that he's going to pan out? I think Trevor Lawrence will. I just don't know if it's going to help the Jets because, point number two, if you look at the overall Jets roster, there's holes on defense. There's holes on offense. Sam Darnold is still probably a top 15 fringe quarterback. I'd say say stays around the 12 to 15 range. He's a more glorified Kirk Cousins, and he's a poor man's Josh Allen. And yet, he has three years on his contract still. He has two years and a team option. Why wouldn't wouldn't it be smarter for the team to keep him, play him for the three years? If he doesn't pan out in three years, I get it. The key to a player's development comes in the first four years of of his player lifespan, mostly mostly for quarterbacks. At this point, there's no reason for me to believe that Sam Darnold isn't going to be a suitable quarterback. He's better than, he's better than the Derek Carrs. He simply has no options on the field. You can't be passing the ball to Jamison Crowder, and I don't even know who the number two receiver is. Chris Herndon, maybe the tight end, and then and then handing Robbie the ball. Robbie Anderson, off. maybe. No, uh, Anderson's in Carolina, which by the way is a whole other thing because once Robbie Anderson left, he he's blown up now now with Teddy Bridgewater. But he has no options on the field. He's throwing wheel routes to Frank Gore. Frank Gore's thirty-seven years old. I don't. I don't care. How, I don't care the timeless wonder he is. He isn't worth it. So you have more. Well, I'm going to go count, counterpoint that because Adam Gaze takes over this team and automatically signs Le'Veon Bell, and then also brings in, you know, also has a chance to work with a first-round draft pick. You know, I, it doesn't, you know, for me, you know, I think that Gaze kind of had this opportunity to really blossom with a, with a, with an all-time, you know, back, you know, at the time, possibly in Le'Veon Bell. Now, granted, Le'Veon Bell hadn't played in a year, so, you know, it was like, you know, are we really going to expect him to, to just go back to being um, all pro Le'Veon, or are we, or, or are we going to get, you know, this, this come out of retirement Jordan version of Away yeah. on, and that's kind of what we got. Um, so I think that you know, in, in Gates's in Gates's side of things, you know, he was given an opportunity with some talent on the roster. You know, they even revamped the logo for him, and just couldn't get it done. And I honestly got to think that this is because you know he wasn't up for the task. You know, from day one, you know, he's in those press conferences and he's looking around and he's looking like he's on something. And for Adam Gates to compete against. You know Sean McVay in the in the Bills, which is which are turning out to be a powerhouse, and then also Bill Belichick and Tom Brady for years. Obviously, you can't expect him to go out and beat those guys, but you you have you should have expected him to be better than that. I mean, it's just absolutely awful. Look, I I totally agree with you. The fact that Adam Gase had basically a silver spoon handed to him, but Le'Veon Bell, like you said, became the Jordan version of himself. The best wide receiver they had on the team and Robbie Anderson underperformed with Sam Darnold for his first three years. He jumped ship and now he's blowing up. I think the Jets are, are having a sort of that, that, that New York Mets moment where everyone who leaves suddenly blows up and does great. The third thing though, that, that I wanted to bring up to, to, um, to finish my argument though, is the fact that where you have all of these holes, you have the opportunity now, if you get the first overall pick to trade for a haul, they already have, they already have 10 draft picks, including two, including two first round picks, plus the first overall pick if they even, when they eventually get it, if or when. And so you have three first-round picks. You have, tw- you have 10 picks overall. Now you can expand it even further, and you can have more picks. Plus, they have a hell of a lot of cap space coming into free agency. They, there's going to be offensive linemen up the wazoo available. So I want to take us back to 2016. 
the Tennessee Titans had the first overall pick in the draft. They had Marcus Mariota. They didn't want to do anything with the first overall pick. So they traded the pick. They gave it to, to, the, uh, to the then uh, St. Louis Rams. This was the trade. So Tennessee traded the first, the first overall pick, their fourth-round pick, and their sixth-round pick. They received the Rams' first pick, the second pick, the f- uh, two second-round picks, actually, and a third-round pick from Philly. They also got the next year's first-round pick from the Rams and a, uh, a third-round compensation pick for the next year. So that's seven, six picks that you received for the first, fourth, and sixth. So you got first, three, uh, two firsts, really, from back-to-back years, two thirds and two seconds. That whole entire trade managed to, l- managed to land the Rams, uh, the, um, the Titans, my apologies, to, let's see, I, ha- I have it all listed here. Four, four offensive linemen who all rank in the top 25, according to Pro Football Focus, a running back who, who even though he didn't necessarily pan out, was supposed to be a, uh, a top 10 talent, and a wide receiver in Adam Humphreys who's managing pretty well so far in Tennessee. So, the overall haul was six picks. Imagine what the, what the Jets can do if they were to trade that first overall pick to a team like, let's say, the Browns, who have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, two third-round picks, possibly more, possibly at intangible talent, maybe a Miles Garrett, whose contract, whose contract's running up, maybe a wide receiver, an Odell Beckham or a Jarvis Landry. Who knows? Or, or, yeah, but- or the David Ajoku. The possibilities but- are endless for this team to load up on picks Give Sam Darnold the kind of team that he needs. I don't even care if Adam Gase is at the helm. At the end of the day, the talent on the field just sucks. It isn't just the it isn't just the coach. It's everything. It's the front office. It's the coach. It's the team. It's everything but it's everything but the quarterback. You make good points, but I'm going to ask you right now: Who did that trade benefit more in the long run? Well, as of right now, the Tennessee Titans. Ah, mm, uh, have the Tennessee Titans made an appearance in the Super Bowl? All right, the Tennessee well, here, two things. No, first, they have First of all, the Tennessee the Titans Rams have made an appearance in the Super Bowl after that trade. That trade that landed them Jared Goff. Okay? Now we get it that that team is you know, that that might have been a fluke year. They maybe shouldn't have been in the Super Bowl because of a PI call, but nonetheless, you don't fall into the Super Bowl by accident. You t- that takes 16 quality games to get you in there. You know, whether they should have been there or not at the end of the day, you know, is up for debate, but the matter of the fact is, is that they got there and the Tennessee Titans have made it to the AFC Championship game on a, on a miracle run. Yes, but, but at the same time, so, though, they, they upgraded from Sam Bradford to Jared Goff. You're, you're, you're going to upgrade from, Trevor, from Sam Darnold to Trevor Lawrence. Sam Bradford was a bottom 10 quarterback. At the very least, Sam Darnold is a top 15 talent. He's better than the Kirk Cousins of the world who still has a starting job miraculously. He's, still, he's better than the Derek Carrs. He's better than the uh, insert name here. He's possibly, he's possibly even better than Carson Wentz. Every trade is built differently, and I and I hear you in that. And and if I'm the Jets, I'm I'm pulling the trigger on anything that I could possibly get, um, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or if I get a healthy package of picks in return. Because let's be real, that's a sexy haul for the first overall pick that of course. The, the Titans got. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm looking for the best possible chance to win now and not build the future, which is kind of what the Titans did, and it hasn't exactly panned out for them just yet. You know, they still they still are a good team. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at taking Trevor Lawrence one overall, and I'm and I'm also looking to get offensive weapons to support. 
if they're able to do it to do it in free agency. Regardless, we'll we will have to look forward to it. Let's hope the Jets can actually win the game so the Giants can at least get close to the number one overall pick so they can take that lineman out of Oregon because God knows that they need it. Speaking of the New York Giants, the Giants got their first win of the year and they move into second place in the NFC East with one win, uh, which is still bonkers to me. But what a terrible division. Oh, it, it's absolutely brutal. And and the worst part is the Giants are playing a short week against the Eagles on Thursday night with no Miles Sanders and no Zach Ertz and a ailing Carson Wentz. I don't even know what's going to happen. I think he's going to be 6-3. to three. But I, I want to take five minutes and just kind of rant about the Giants because, first of all, the Giants should have never won this game. Ron Rivera being the overly aggressive airhead that he has at times, and granted it works, considering it worked a lot in Carolina, but it was an airhead move on his part. So let's kind of uh, take you through it if you didn't watch the game. It, they scored a touchdown. With time winding down, it was about 50 seconds left, and he chooses to op- he opts to go for two. Not don't kick the field, don't kick the PAT and tie the game, force the overtime because Daniel Jones was not marching down the field to score. So you can kick the field goal, the PAT, and go to OT. Which at that point, the Giants' defense was gassed. They had they had a six play drive that, that that went all the way down the field. The Giants' defense couldn't handle it. They managed to get a lucky stop a a, a lucky stop on a tip. A, on the two-point conversion, and had had Kyle Allen stepped foot into overtime, probably could have marched down the field and won the game. The Giants are very well the, the worst one-win team in football. That's a, that's a that isn't very hard to say, but I'm appalled by the play calling that Ron Rivera had in this game, and that's my that's my only quip on the game the Giants shouldn't have won the game they shouldn't have they don't deserve a win they don't deserve to be second place in the NFC they should be in dead last behind Washington and the fact that Kyle Allen who it let's be honest is a beyond below average quarterback he's he shouldn't even be the starter honestly they they, they should start Alex Smith if it wasn't for the fact that oh I don't know he has had uh, a flush eating disease and a leg that could that could probably get absolutely pummeled at any second that's the only thing holding them back from starting him. I'm just, yeah. I'm just so appalled by the fact that the Giants got a win, and it, and it also annoys me because now they're going to finish and get, get, have the sixth or seventh pick, take an offensive lineman just just like they did last year with Andrew Thomas, and then bench him by, by week five like they did this week. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Giants. You know, I I, I hear your rant. You know, it, this really is nothing scientific here. This is this is you ranting about how your team is terrible. And Pain. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could sympathize with you a little bit more. <laughs> um, and that's not me flexing. That's literally just, you know, hey, you know, that, that's a big bummer, isn't it? But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the Giants, they're still waiting on, you know, they're still waiting on a number of different, you know, a number of different pieces to fall into place, mainly – Joe Judge fitting in with his um, Joe Judge fitting in with his uh, with that with that organization, and I'm not saying that he's not because you know we hear a lot of great press about Joe Judge. We hear a lot of the players like him and they respect him because he is he's disciplined and he comes from a really he comes from a really well coached organization and he's bringing a lot of those same philosophies over to the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, I just can't see right now you know you can't really say that this year is an honest depiction of what the Giants could be 
with this new with this new system because you know your 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 franchise is is in is not in right now. That was Saquon. He's out with the excuse me. He's out with the ACL injury, and he is uh, and 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 you have to rely on Daniel Jones throwing to you know who exact you know who exact and mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of your it's kind of your you know what the heck are we how are we just gonna get week to week you know we can't think long term when when we're literally like shooting week to week to see if we can put together a uh, a team on us that's that's gonna actually be able to compete but but you know it's uh it's it's funny you bring it up because at the end of the day the offense is it isn't the same it's a shell of itself because of the fact that that Saquon's out but to give the Giants credit and th- this is where I'm going to kind of turn my rant around and say that the Giants really aren't a bad team so Daniel Jones I noticed three things from him over the last five weeks and I think this is going to be it if if no one learns anything from any sports talk show on WFAN or on ESPN of anybody talking about why did why Daniel Jones is a terrible quarterback this is why he's a bad quarterback. So credit to him. I noticed, I think he had a 30, 30 40 yard run yesterday. Uh, and I was, it was one of those things that, that you watched him just run as if he was a running back. He wasn't afraid of contact, which we know he has a fumbling issue, but it, it only appears to be an issue when he's in the pocket and the blindside rusher is coming in on him. He holds the ball well. He runs the ball well. He has wheels. He's, a, he's better than Eli Manning on that front. He isn't afraid of contact. When he's when he's anywhere on the field that isn't in the red zone, he's making nice passes, tight spirals. He's fitting into holes. He had a great throw to Darius Slayton early on in the, early on in the second quarter, uh, and a little over the shoulder, back shoulder fade from like the twenty five yard line again, not in the red zone. That was gorgeous. He knows how to make the he knows how to make the throws. He knows how to how to run the ball. He has good decision making. But the problem with Daniel Jones at the end of the day only comes within the red zone. The second you go inside the you go in, inside the twenty yard line, he looks like an eighth grader taking a test. His mind just goes blank. He forces passes. He doesn't know where to go with the football. He doesn't know when to, when to hold it and take the sack. He's he's the opposite of what Giants fans hated about about Eli Manning. Eli Manning wouldn't make the throw and just ha- and just take the sack, which is why Eli Manning in the last three years of his career spent more time on second and twelve or second and fourteen than he ever did on, on a third and short. So. He, you're almost looking at 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 the oblivious pass rushing issues. He can't read a defense that, that well. He he can't read a blitz that well. He forces passes in, and he got lucky uh, yesterday with Evan Ingram catching two of the three terrible passes. One of the picks, also by the way, for Daniel Jones shouldn't have happened anyways. Uh, the the red the Washington football team's defender was out of bounds. I caught myself there, but at the end of the day, you can't blame this this on. Daniel Jones, because because really the defense is, has been elite this year. They've been top ten in the league uh, in rushing, top ten in the league in rushing yards allowed, as well as passing yards allowed. They've managed to stay, stay staunch. James Bradbury's done a great job in the secondary, but the problem is is that the scheme they're still running they're still running the same offensive scheme as if Saquon Barkley was still there. And I heard uh, I believe it was Jordan Renan saying 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 this earlier today. If you look at, at the Giants' offense, it's it's designed around Saquon Barkley. It's designed around the ground and pound, very elusive running back who's, who's, who's able to, to take his checkdowns and work the ball around. Now that the, now that now that he's out, they're basically looking at Devontae Freeman as as a new Saquon Barkley. And to make matters worse, 
is your number one receiver. It isn't Golden Tate, and it isn't Sterling Shepard at this point. It's Evan Ingram, and Evan Ingram has not been seeing the ball. He he's looked like a mere shell of himself. Even though come training camp, they said that he was the that he was in the best shape of his life. So you haven't been using Evan Ingram. You've been overusing Devontae Freeman. Daniel Jones is your lead rusher. Golden Tate isn't getting looks, and Sterling Shepard's out with turf toe. So you're still running that same offensive scheme. Joe Judge, although he, although he's a great coach and he means well and, and, and everything he's doing is right, he needs to figure out the offensive scheme. And again, this could be a Jason Garrett issue for all I know. And Jason Garrett, we've seen it. In, we saw it in Dallas when players would get hurt, when when Des Bryant would get hurt, or Amari Cooper would go down f- uh, for a span, or even when Zeke was was uh, suspended, they'd still run the offense as if Zeke was the running back and not Tony Pollard or not whoever else was in the backfield behind him. So at the end of the day, this could very well be a Jason Garrett issue, but the Daniel Jones, for all those haters uh, on the Jones party, I still believe in him at this point. Until yeah. until I'm given a reason to fall off his bandwagon, I'm I'm gonna kind of gonna kind of ride the ship here. Well, I'm gonna you know I I haven't been blown away by any quarterback that's been drafted since probably since since Russell Wilson or Andrew Luck. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're looking at maybe, okay, and I'll throw Deshaun Watson into that conversation as well. But even then, he's but not lost her. What, what we're seeing right now, though, is the the rebounds. And we're ta- we talk about how, you know, when we talk about the Redskins, we don't even talk about Dwayne Haskins. We're talking about Kyle Allen and Alan Smith. When we talk about the Jets, we're talking about them possibly taking Trevor Lawrence because, because, uh, Sam Darnold can't play. When we talk, we 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 saw you Baker Mayfield got benched yesterday. Mitch Trubisky's been benched this season. These quarterbacks that have been drafted in recent years, they just they have not been the the playmakers on the field. The only one that's really been holding out hope recently has been Kyler Murray, and that's because he's got a really talented receiving core uh, in in Arizona and a brilliant but, coach. And a, yeah, and a good coach. But you know, when we're when you know when you want a quarterback right now, everyone's saying, you know, oh, you know, when we want a quarterback, he needs to be as good as as Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes is right now. But when we when Pat Mahomes was drafted, remember he was a second rounder. We wouldn't expect him to become the Messiah he is today. Same thing with Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. who's taken thirty first overall, or um, or even Russell Wilson, who was taken in the in the middle rounds as well. So it's like. You can't expect a guy to just automatically blossom into into you know the the next Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre guy. You know you they have to develop them, and I think people who are giving up on Daniel Jones right now just need to take a deep breath and, and say, look, it's going to be okay. You just got to get through these tough times, and pretty soon you'll add weapons and. Um, you know, trading Odell in the long run was probably good for the cap, and and you get picks, and you have the ability to develop those players. And but I think you're right. I think you have to look at every aspect of the offense that the Giants have. Is it Jason Garrett? Is it Joe Judge? Is it is it Daniel Jones? You know, you evaluate all three of those positions moving forward, and you see which one needs the immediate change. If it's Daniel Jones, you don't bench him. You show him what he needs to do better, and you give him a chance to go out and prove that. If it's Jason Garrett, then you don't fire him. You tell you you tell him to adjust his plan and just see what works. You know, it's like when when uh when an artist is an up and coming artist. You know, they're trying to find you know what's gonna what's gonna work. They just they post everything that they that they make on SoundCloud and they see what sticks. You know, this is what Jason Garrett needs to do. He needs to come up with a number of different schemes 
and see what sticks, see what works. You know, it sounds super silly and ridiculous, but it's what they, what the Giants have to do right now uh, to see if you know to see if they can try to light any kind of spark under this offense. Eventually, it'll work. But speaking of the uh, throwing things at a wall and hoping it sticks, I actually have a a final segment for us to talk about in the NFL before we move on uh, before we go to break. So I want to go. I, I'm going to give you a, li- a list of teams. This is going to be our, our buy or sell cont- contenders and pretenders. We're six weeks through. We've seen a lot so far this, so far this season. I have seven teams that I want to question you about all of them rel- uh, towards the top half in, in their division, if not the best team in their division. And okay. I want you to tell me, can we believe in them for the rest of the year? Or are we just kind of making a big fuss? We're going to start with the, the Tennessee Titans. Okay. Um, I think they're buyers. Look, I mean, you know, no one is, what are they, they're 5-1 and one right now? Yep. I mean, that doesn't happen by mistake. You know, at first, you know, I, I, I even went on sports pods, uh, like, second week of the year, and I said, this team is not legit. I said, this team is not going to stick around. You know, you have Tannehill, who doesn't look great. But then they go out yesterday, and, and they put together a very impressive overtime victory. And, uh, you know, Derrick Henry is the best running back in the league right now. You know, don't at me. That is just a straight fact. You know, uh, it's debatable with Christian McCaffrey. When Christian McCaffrey's healthy, it's debatable. But right now, you can't even you can't even give me a number two. Uh, and so when you have that offense clicking on all cylinders, not to mention that defense, which is, which if they are all playing to their potential, could be a top ten defense in the league. I think that the Titans are definitely buyers. I think that if they need to improve anywhere, it probably would be in their secondary. Obviously, they're still trying to figure out what the deal is with Malcolm Butler, who hasn't been great, you know, this past season. But, you know, he showed some promise yesterday. But I think that if they they could add one more offensive threat and then maybe something in their secondary, I think that they are definitely going to be a definite uh, contender for February. It's wild to me that Ryan Tannehill can still throw 150 yards a game and still manage to win five games. It, it's absolutely bonkers to me. Shout out to Mike Vrabel for for literally throwing things at a wall with Marcus Mariota. They can't stick. You bring in Ryan Tannehill, and now it sticks. No, uh, number two, the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Bears, I got to have them. Uh, you know, Trubisky, sorry, man. You know, you're oh. just so hated that you need to go find a backup role. Um, well, Foles is the quarterback. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, sorry, Trubisky, it didn't work. You know, go, you know, maybe he's got to go find himself a backup role. You know, it's kind of the same situation that we've seen with Blake Bortles and Joe Flacco over the over the past couple of years. So I think that if they move on from him and uh, push him to a and push him to a new franchise, I think that he's definitely their most movable piece uh, moving forward. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers and your person on the planet buyers no need to explain they're so good right now i mean they are clicking everywhere i just think that tom brady you know the buccaneers on defense they didn't improve too too much but on offense you know you add the goat and then you add the other goat and rob Gronkowski, not to mention uh leonard fournette you know a bunch of just gritty veterans that have been there and done that and it just it just raises the play of everyone around you offensively and defensively they beat a very good Packers team yesterday. They are buyers. We are not doing go talk right now on Rob on Rob, Rob, Rob Gronkowski because you know you're wrong. It, it, it's undisputed. It is the he is the best 
physical okay. and and catching pass. All right. Ever. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute you in a hot second. <laughs> the team who who the Buccaneers beat the Green Bay Packers also by. Well, I mean, you know, they they lose a game to 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 the to the Buccaneers, but you know, it, I don't think that's anything that they could be sad about. You know, they, they'll pick their heads up. They'll be right back where they need to be uh, next week. I am partly nervous though. Aaron Rodgers only had 100, 150 yards in the air, even though he had way more way more opportunities. The the Buccaneers secondary is good, but not but not terrific. They're really known for their front seven. I Aaron Rodgers hasn't been the last couple of weeks the the Aaron Rodgers of yesteryear that we are usually expecting. Yeah. Um I, I think he'll still he'll still turn it around, but it might take a little bit of time. This is a little bit of a surprise. That, like, go, go ahead. It's all it's also that time of year where Aaron Rodgers gets uh gets some obscure injury or, or some brutal injury that we think ends his season and he comes back in week seventeen and, and gets the Packers into the playoffs. So. Of course. So yeah. this, this one's a bit of a uh, surprise on the list. I'm surprised I'm ever t- talking about them on the show. At three and three, the Miami Dolphins. Oh man, that's a thinker. But I'm gonna have to go to sell. Um, I, as soon as the Patriots start playing in their division again, which I believe is going to be, if not if if oh no, so it's not next week. They play the, they play Baltimore next week, but the week after that, I believe they play either the Bills or the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as they get humbled by within the, within their division, I think that they will be sellers. But look, you know, I I have to say, you know, it, it was really fun to see Tua back out on the gridiron. Uh, whether it was for you know the end of the game or like the end of the two minutes of the game, or you know just taking you know if he would just start you know in the in the next coming weeks, I think that it, it is a very encouraging sign to see him go out there and look good. You know, it's one thing to go out there and, and, and play a game. It's another thing to go out there and look good in a very small window. Mm-hmm. Tua looked confident. Uh, I know that all those pictures emerged of him after the game. Um, but I think that they're going to be sellers. I think that they're one more year. And I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a perfect guy to be down there right now mentoring Tua so that he can get into that role. But sellers for one more year. But then Brian Flores is going to take that team to the Super Bowl. So the supposed sell, uh, buyers of the last three years that, that have turned into quick sellers – the Cleveland Browns, a lot of headlines are flying across this yeah, team. Yeah, man. Oh, man, that's another hard one. See, these are great, man. Um, <laughs> but, oh, shoot. You know, I wish I had just a definite answer. <laughs> um, Those guys are definitely buyers, okay? I know we say it every year, but there's something about this team. They're 4-2 right now. They lost last night and, you know, benched Baker. But, you know, one game – Against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a good team. Uh, you know, I'm 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 definitely saying they're buyers. They're a wild card team. Don't get me wrong. You know, Pittsburgh's going to take that division. It's not you know Baltimore, obviously. So, um, give me uh, give me give me uh, give me buyers on the Browns uh, because that could really be a three a three headed race this coming is, down to the end. This is the only thing I, I want to ask you about because because this is something that that is I, I watched the game last night and it almost looks to me like I've watched so many first overall pick quarterbacks. And you watch them, and you say, okay, I understand why they took him first overall. James Winston had a pick problem. He still makes terrific throws. Well, He, he has flashes of, of excellence. Yeah. And, Andrew, I mean, hey, look, Andrew Luck first you know, overall. You say, hey, you know what? This is why he was taking first overall. Kyler Murray. I watched Baker Mayfield, and I do not understand why you took him first overall. <laughs> I, like, like, I see a third-round quarterback who is like the Derek Carr type who is good – but is out, but, 
but is way in over his head every day. And I, and I don't look, know what it is. Look, Baker's a handsome guy. He's good for TV, but at the end of the day, you're probably right. You know, there's, there's, there's really no way that he could command the ship. I think that the big, the big problem right now is that he's playing on a team with egos that could fill a room in a hurry. You know, Odell Beckham Jr., highest paid receiver of all time. Jarvis Landry also demands big money. Baker Mayfield, first overall pick, Heisman Trophy winner. You got a lot of freaking ego on that team, and yeah. and, and yeah, I think if Baker just kind of, if either Odell or Jarvis or Baker left, they either one of them could excel moving forward. I just think that there's, you know, we see it. I don't want to make the assimilation because I know we have to we have to take a break, but uh, the end of the Golden State dynasty uh, with Kevin Durant and uh, Draymond Green, those guys butted heads a lot towards the end, and then it ended up forcing KD to go sign in uh in brooklyn but it was really that was an ego thing you know you know draymond would take the ball out of katie's hand and katie would be upset about it and obviously we're not seeing anything you know last year we saw a lot of odell visibly upset whether he was not joining the huddle or calling out his coach or his quarterback publicly you know we have that same you know there might be some of that behind the scenes this year so i think that with media being limited to um to the players, I think that we're not seeing a lot, and I think that there might be a little ego issue in in, in Denver or not mm-hmm. Denver in Cleveland. So, uh, you know, I'd call him buyers for the moment, but again, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I also think there's a very good shot that that Baker that Baker Mayfield is simply just uh, starring in too many Hulu has live sports ads. To uh, that's good for him, but hey, look, uh, he's <laughs> good for TV. He is good for TV, of course. Okay, so one last final team, the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas Raiders. Put that team on the trading block. God damn, bro. Those guys are those guys are frauds. Really? Absolute frauds. I mean, one week can't even beat a, a you know, an underdog Patriots. Next week go out there and, you know, obliterate the Chiefs. What the heck? And what now, the actual heck? And now all of a sudden kind of like kind of like sit and fluffs. Again, it's probably a quarterback problem. I, I don't even think it could be a quarterback problem. I just think that you – and I think that this is – this comes down to the coach. Oh. John Gruden is by far the headline attention-grabbing coach, you know, with the exception of Adam Gase. <laughs> he is the headline attention-grabbing coach year in and year out. With that, with that team, you know he's, you know he's his life and blood is is built into that organization dating back to 2000. But you know his time away from the team, his time away from the league, and being an analyst, I don't think it was really good for him as a coach. And now he's, I think he's in over his head. I think Derek Carr's a good quarterback. I've, I've, and I say that with the with the idea that I've watched Derek Carr on NFL films and like his mic'd up stuff mm-hmm. and. I you know with a lot of these mic'd ups that you see with guys like like Lamar Jackson or or Baker even and and Mariota or not Mar- and Mariota and like Winston you know there's guys who are goofing around you know they're not taking it very seriously it seems like but Derek Carr takes his job very seriously I think that there is a there is a serious coaching issue 
in in Oakland or Las Vegas at this point. And I think that that is the reason why those guys are, are very volatile. You know, one week going from blowing up the Chiefs and then the next week going to, you know, flop again, looking like some flaccid breadsticks. So I would, uh, Josh Jacobs, top five running back in the league uh, when he gets to his full potential. And uh, also Henry Rudd going to be a great, great receiver in this league. Not to mention they have the second best tight end uh, fantasy-wise this year. So Darren I really Waller. don't see, Yeah, Darren Waller, exactly. So, you know, you have... You have weapons there. You just—I think that that is a coaching issue, and so, it's not an ego issue. So, folks, there you have it—the buy and sell. Before we go, this is going to be really quick. I'm going to roll, roll, roll through this. We have our waiver wire pickups of the week, brought to you by absolutely nobody because I am not in by any means sponsored. So, a three-way uh, kind of Hydra here. Brought to you by the Mac and Main Blog. Yes, of course. Of course. Brought to you by the Mac and Main Blog. So the three-headed monster that I have this week is going to be Travis Fulgham, Dallas Goddard, and Boston Scott. Uh, short week against the Giants. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to be playing without Miles Sanders and without Zach Ertz. Goddard's coming off of IR. Fulgham's rostering 45% of leagues. Goddard, 24, and Boston Scott, 10. Fra- Travis Fulgham has had back-to-back, back-to-back weeks of over 20 points. Has gone absolutely off. Goddard, who had, who had a great week, week in week one, should... Uh, should produce well with Zach Ertz out. And, of course, with Miles Sanders taking the bench, Boston Scott should hop right in. T. Higgins, Joe Burrow's number one option right now in Cincinnati at 43% of leagues. He's rostered. If you can get your hands on him, definitely do. A.J. Green is hurt. Tyler Boyd has been a mere shell of himself uh, over the last three years. Let's be honest. T. Higgins has been going absolutely off. And my final person of the week, LaMichael Pirine, at 12% rostered in leagues. Sam Darnold's hurt. The Jets are really bad. Frank Gore can't do it all. Joe Flacco's fledging along. Honestly, LaMichael Piron at this point will be getting a bulk, a bulk of the carries, and once they realize that, that, that Joe Flacco cannot throw the ball whatsoever, Piron will be getting the ball. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to have the World Series preview. We had Dodgers Rays, and where are the top NBA free agents going? You're listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ. Welcome back, folks, to 98.1 WQAQ, the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. This is the Mac and Main Show. Stephen McAvoy and Jack Main back on his couch still once again. We are not really in the second hour. We're only 49 minutes in. However, we still have a lot to get to. We spent a whopping 45 minutes on the NFL. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But hey, you know what? All, all things are worth the topic. So let's get right into the World Series. This was... A, this was be, First of all, credit to the MLB for the bubble. I think this was something that it had to happen. We saw the breakouts in Florida. We saw the breakout in St. Louis. Both were essentially absolute dumpster fires. Thank goodness they managed to kind of get kind of get back on their feet. But we now have the two outright best teams, according to Jeff Passan, in the World Series. What? No, uh, oh, I'm literally boxes re-airing last night's NLCS game, and Mookie Best just robbed the homer. Oh my goodness! No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, like, honestly, I knew it happened, but I'm just like I'm rewatching the replay, and it's just like, who would be stupid enough to trade that guy? Ah, man. You know. You know. I only. I I, I can only wonder, honestly, at this point. So, <laughs> Dude, me too. I mean, screw it. 
Look, 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 I mean, not for nothing, man. Who, whoever did it must have been really crazy. Yeah. Hey. Uh, so, yeah, good. Good timing, good timing. so the Rays and the Dodgers, the two best teams in the MLB, are going to be battling out at Globe Life Park in Texas. By the way, it's a gorgeous stadium. I was so, oh, yeah. like, watching it for the first time, because like, I haven't really been watching a lot of World Series baseball. I watched it. Uh, I watched the game last night. Oh, my goodness. That stadium is gorgeous. Yeah, pretty cool. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, bro. Like, I mean, it's a it's kind of a cookie cutter, but you I, know, mean, I watched uh, Zach Zach Campbell puts out those ball hawking videos, and <laughs> yesterday he he released his uh, NLCS videos from that stadium, uh, and it's gorgeous stadium. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm super excited. I just you know obviously they modify the stadiums, um, and I just wish that I could see it when it's like fully equipped for the Rangers. Of course, but right now it's a it's a great you know I think it's it's a great way for this for MLB to open up its, its newest. Uh, stadium. So I just can't wait until Joey Gallo starts starts hitting nukes to right field. So yeah. So Jack, you're the AL guy as the Red Sox fan. I'm the NL guy as a Mets fan. Both of us are absolutely in the dumps as per usual. Actually, no. Oh yeah. Not not as usual for you, but hey man, what are you talking about? We got salary on our side. Let's go. All right, I'm muting you. So <laughs> so the Rays and the Dodgers, Jack. I'm gonna let you start up here. I, I want right. you to break down the Rays for me. Tell me what the what did the Rays do in sixty games that, that the Red Sox simply couldn't. Steve, <laughs> every year we do this MLB preview for like an hour, um, and you say it time and time again. The Rays are just the right group of people in the right place. They're so average, it's good. Oh. They are so average, it's good. They are just <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rays have the twenty eighth lowest payroll in baseball. There was only one team in MLB history to be that low uh, ranking in payroll and make the World Series. You know what team that was? Probably the Marlins. No, the 2008 Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> so they have a knack for doing this thing where they don't pay anybody, but they make it to the they make it deep into the playoffs. And I, you know, this year they're going to be looking to capitalize on it. You got Tyler Glass now, Blake Snell, and Charlie Morton, your big three-headed monster, uh, arming that rotation. Uh, and then you've got Kevin Kiermeyer, the veteran offensive defensive presence on that team, leading guys like Hunter Renfro, Randy Arozarena, G-Man Choi, and uh, and Mike Zanino. You know, it's like this team just doesn't seem like they should be in the position they're in. But with the shortened season and with the Yankees not able to get things rolling, and with the Blue Jays still, you know, if the Blue Jays had 162 games, they probably would have been a, a playoff team in in, uh, in that span. The Tampa Bay Rays were the best team in 60 games, and that is no lie. That is no that is no BS in a 162-game season. If, if the season ended at 60 games, the Tampa Bay Rays would be the best team. Over over a longevity, though, like I really didn't think that they could sustain it, so this is the year if Tampa Bay wants to win a World Series, or of course they want to, but if they're going to win the World Series, this is the year. The only problem is that their counterparts in the Los Angeles Dodgers are also very good, and they're very good because they have been aggressive in the market. I'll let you preview the Dodgers, but the way that the Rays are going to have to combat that team is they are going to have to pitch smart because there's no way that they are going to out-hit them. Who's their best power hitter on Tampa Bay? It's Hunter Renfro. Who is the best power hitter on the Dodgers? Well, it's a debate between Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Max Muncy, like <laughs> insert name exactly. here. Like it's a debate on who's the best who's the best power hitter on that team. So 
you know, you have to definitely outpitch them if you if you are going to win that series. You know, the Braves had good pitching. You know, Max Freed, Ian Anderson. Um, they had, you know, those guys are those guys can sling it. But the Dodgers, they had a guy for every situation, and I, I think that Tampa Bay is really going to have their hands full trying to stop uh, the Dodgers. I think for the first time in MLB history, there's a there's a team that's basically a Swiss Army knife. That 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 like you said has has almost a situation for everything, can pitch to their strengths in every situation. In according to ESPN uh, stats and info, their analytics, the the Dodgers have had like four or five situations the entire season that they've that, that they've done something that the that 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 the projection was negative. Meaning maybe you bring in Kenley Jansen against a lefty and 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 maybe he has a better batting average and it's a negative outcome. They literally five or six times in 60 games plus the playoffs. This team is an absolute Swiss Army knife. And like you said, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Max Muncie, Will Smith. I like you you can run down the line of this team. The only the only player they're missing is Manny Machado from 2 years ago. Like like this team's absolutely ridiculous on, on in, in every facet of the ball. And of course, both teams have questions and we're going to get into that. But for the Dodgers, it's just it's be aggressive early on. They have they have a defensive juggernaut unit, including Mookie Betts, who has in the NLCS alone two home run robbing catches in right field. He's playing in the same in the same right field for the entire series. Honestly, the the biggest thing that's gonna that that's gonna knock down the Rays is the fact that the Rays spent the ALDS and the ALCS playing in Petco Park, in San Diego, yeah, in a warm weather stadium that's meant for hitters. That, that hitters thrive in with short porches to left field and right field. The only real power alleys are, are in deep center field. And the Dodgers got Globe Life Park, where Mookie Betts is used to right field now. Uh, Cody Bellinger just oozes and drips swagger whenever he touches a baseball. Like, Shout but, out my Twitter, by the way. I know. That guy hit a hit an absolute moonshot, and I almost like I, I, I almost broke down in tears. But the, oh, dude, it was, that was beautiful. But the offensive power alleys are, are absolutely massive in Texas because, again, like we said, they're they're equipped for the they're equipped for the Rangers. They're equipped for, for Ronald Guzman. They're they're equipped for Joey for Joey Gallo. Not to mention the amount of lefties the Dodgers ha- have in their lineup. Pitching wise, it's it's the same thing. Clayton Kershaw has finally panned out outside of one game that that he's had all series. Uh, Walker Bueller has been quite possibly a top fifteen pitcher in the league the second he stepped foot in the league. Uh, def- the the bullpen has been lights out. Kelly Jansen, Blake Trinan, you name it, they got it. Sean Alexander, they just managed to get into situations that they can just thrive. And Dave Roberts really is the he he's the artifact behind all of this. He's been the catalyst. He's yep. been the key. And take it even a step further. Andrew Friedman, who is the general manager and president of baseball ops of the Dodgers, for those of you who don't know, was a part of the Rays organization five years ago when he got them Kevin Cash and when he got them to what is now this climb. Most of this is, is, is all Andrew Friedman's uh, fault. Not to mention he brought the Rays to the World Series uh, 12 years ago. Exactly. So a- Andrew Friedman, shout out to this man. Like, honestly, it, if there's a winner of the year, it's Andrew Friedman. The man's managed to create two teams, go to, th- go to, go to a ton of World Series, and now, ha- and now managed to get both of the teams that he ran from the ground up to now be in the World Series, but again, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, in order to win the series, just simply need to stay aggressive. They have to get. Hey, I don't, I don't think the Dodgers need to change anything. You know, they yeah. just need to. You know, I think you and I agree. This is a very one-sided series. You know, this is all. You know, the Dodgers. 
I'm not going to say that. So I would say it is. So but, I mean, as a guy, as a guy who enjoys the the big the big swag in baseball. By the way, in the in the replay of the game, Kike Hernandez just hit an absolute nuke. Um, to tie the game. But, um, in the in the you know in this guy who enjoys the the swag that baseball is trying to create, the Dodgers are the team that you want to win this World Series. You of know? course, they are the team that's been there. This is their third time in four years getting to the World Series. You know, lost to a lost to a bunch of cheaters in a controversial World Series in 2017, as entertaining as it was. Lost to the best team in the last uh, 30 years in the Red Sox the next year. And then uh, last year, you know, poor managing decisions, you know, cost them their trip to the World Series. And this year, this is really just, you know, this is just a perfect storm. You know, you have the ability to stay in one spot, as you mentioned, uh, for a long period of time. So they're all very comfortable. Not to mention, they had a handful of games that they played in Texas because of the way that the divisions were aligned this year. Uh, during the regular season and now they have the best offense in baseball it's not even close uh for whoever was in second probably either uh either chicago white Sox, or uh probably like the yankees or something so you know you have you know this is just the perfect storm a perfect perfect storm for the for the dodgers to try and 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 capture that elusive title and and it, if Dave Roberts just makes the right timely decisions, because we that's what's costed him in the past, you know, with you know pulling guys early mostly, uh, he can. This is definitely a year that that he can, uh, that he can that he can make this work for the Dodgers. And that's to say right now. So Kevin Cash works with a small market team with a bunch of guys who have unique skill assets. Skill assets, you know, the Dodgers have a bunch of guys who can do it all. The Rays are built on guys that can do one or two things, and, and that's how they've gotten to where they are. Uh, just Dave Roberts cannot overreact and get thrown off by the unique style mm-hmm. of Kevin Cash and so, the Tampa Bay Rays. So this is so I'm going to go back to what you said about, about how this is basically an all-out Dodger show. I do think the Rays the Rays certainly have a chance here. I I don't think there's any there's, there's ever a reason to count count the underdog out, regardless of the fact. That the Rays might not have the the elite offensive weapons the Dodgers do. What they do have is a top three bullpen in baseball, and the implementation of of the opener, which is which has worked for sixty games the whole year. Outside of outside of when they pitched Glass, now uh, Morton Morton and Snell, but what the, what the Rays have working for them is the fact that that they have the ability to th- no one on this team, and I say this every single year. No one on this team bats higher than two than, than two sixty. No one hits more than twenty five thirty home runs a year. No one's going to hit you one hundred RBIs. But the, but the one thing that the Rays have is the fact that they were the most efficient team in baseball in in plating runs, not by the long ball, yeah. but by the doubles and the singles and the small ball they play. And that's, and that's the, what matters, of course. And it's the same reason why the Royals beat the Mets in 2015. They had the worst rated offense in baseball, but they managed to score runs. They couldn't hit, they couldn't hit it deep. They didn't hit doubles. They didn't hit triples, but they hit singles and stole bases. The Rays, outside of Randy Orozarena, don't necessarily have a, a true power bat. I guess you could say Hunter Renfro, but, but even then, Hunter Renfro hasn't, he, he hasn't been a knight in shining armor f- for this team like Cody Bellinger has with the Dodgers. But the Rays certainly have a chance. Now, uh, ESPN Stats and Info put 
put a number out, uh, I believe it was a couple days ago. Over the last eight playoff games, the Rays are batting have batted a collective batting average of under 230. They have not been able to break the 300 mark in eight games across the entire lineup, which is showing that they're only really averaging four to five hits per game. It isn't great, but at the same time, those four to five hits per game are the Randy Rosarena home runs, the uh, the Manuel Margot doubles, the uh, Kevin Kiermaier stolen bases. It It's these small plays that matter, and I think this is why the Rays, you can't necessarily count them out. However, the Dodgers do have just about everything kind of kind of going in their direction. The second the second yeah. Clayton Kershaw leaves the game and has a three run a three run buffer or or Walker Bueller leaves the game with a one run buffer, this game's the game's over essentially. Do I think the right. Dodgers are going to sweep it? Probably not. I think they'll go 5 or 6. Uh but I want to ask you a couple a couple of questions from from the Rays side because the Rays really are the question mark. Like we said, the Dodgers don't really, don't really have to change anything. The only questions from the Dodgers are, will Clayton Kershaw be able to finish like, like, like he has so far outside of, again, that one game in the NLCS? And can they keep, keep Randy Rosarena at bay? But for the, for the Rays, the big question is Blake Snell. Blake Snell has not gone more than five innings all season. The last time he went more than five innings was in August of last year. So... Yep. If Blake Snell is going to pitch two games in this World Series, probably game two and game five, game five probably being a a elimination game, most likely. Well, if Blake yeah. Snell is unable to play, pitch more than five innings, do mm-hmm. the Dodgers basically ha- have a free walk? No. So here's why I disagree with that, because I think that and this is a very unorthodox way of thinking about how this could go well for the Rays, but. This is one thing that Kevin Cash could use to his advantage. If he wants to do the traditional route and throw his best three guys in the first three games of the World Series, by all means, do that. You know, there's, you have nothing to lose by doing that. And even if they don't, if it doesn't go well, you have the bullpen to back up your starters. If you decide not to do that, however, you have the ability to throw your best three pitchers, which are Glass now, Morton, and Snell, more than once within that four-game, initial four-game span. So, hypothetically, let's say Glassdown has already been announced as the Game 1 starter. Um, yeah, so Glassdown pitches Game 1. Snell and Morton pitch Game 2 and 3. You could potentially go with Glassdown Game 4, you know, if, if, if you really need it, you know, because of the way that these, that these raised pitchers are, are used to playing this year. If Blake Snell, I guarantee you right now, because no no starting pitcher this postseason, with the exception of like two or three starts, has gone more than five innings, five or six innings. You are going to you're none of none of these starting pitchers on the on the Dodgers or Rays side are going to go longer than five innings, max six. You know, and that's probably like what we're going to see Walker Buehler or Clayton Kershaw do, because that's not the way Dave Roberts runs his runs his team. It's not the way Kevin Cash runs his team. So if Blake Snell pitches in game in game two or three you could potentially see him again then in game four or five because he would be pitching he would have only hurled you know 50 pitches as compared to 120 and needed a full five days rest hmm. and yeah. yeah it's interesting to think about because but, it's, it's really it's unorthodox but but it's something that you couldn't you probably wouldn't be coming but it makes sense but here, but but here's the problem. How how long how long would you have to rely on Blake Snell to go three innings, four innings, maybe two? Like like where's 
if I could get four innings of two, one or two hit base, one, one or two hits out of Blake Snell, I would take him out because you are you are a stifling the team already, and you have a you have the third best bullpen in the game, and then you also have the ability to then use him again down the line. So here's my here's my only problem with what the Rays are dealing with, and unlike the Dodgers who have been in the World Series three of the last four years, the Rays for the most part nobody has been no one on this team out with the exception of Charlie Morton has been has been in a World Series game. I think Mike Zunino has also, but regardless. Yeah. So I mean, that, but how, when has that stopped them before that? You yeah, know? Like, yeah, but like, but but what they're severely lacking though is the fact that in a playoff situation with with literally all the lights on you, could there's there's a good opportunity and and we've seen it so many other times in baseball history that teams who are who are un inexperienced when going deep into the playoffs, they it's majority of the time the pitching seems to kind of break down very quickly. We see it, yeah. we saw it with the Brewers with their three-headed monster with, with Craig Council. Regardless of the fact that Craig Council made his mistakes, the bullpen blew up. We we've seen it in the past even with the A's this year, the bullpen simply blew up. The Braves this year, the bullpen simply blew up. Like all these teams had these immense leads and again, even the Rays, the Rays almost lost to the Astros in seven games because it, because they blew a three zero lead and a lot of that did at the end of the day come down to the inability of the of the opener get, getting out early on and the bullpen shutting the sh- shutting the door down. So right. So there is there is some reason to believe that there's a possibility the Rays kind of crumble under all of this, but that that then feeds feeds into my next question. But but hang go on, go before before you continue, yeah. I just want to make the point: no team worth their salt is going to throw an opener in a World Series game. A team that is good doesn't need an opener. But the Rays have thrived have, with it. That they are the only exception, and that is because of how strong their bullpen is. But you are not going to see the Dodgers throw an opener. They of course not, yeah. Because they did yesterday because they were really they were uneasy with Dustin May yeah. after one inning of work. But I guarantee you if Dustin May pitches a one, two, three inning He's going to go back out for the second. Of course. You know, but he was just, he just didn't have his stuff. He had the jitters in game in, in the first inning, so they, they had to pull him. Yeah. And it worked out in the long run. But no team worth their salt is going to use an opener in a World Series game. There was a It was a phase for half a season. You know, you look at teams when they pitch their openers. I, I think back most recently to the 2018 wild card game. It was the um, New York Yankees versus the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. The Oakland A's threw an opener and they got absolutely obliterated because they expended their bolt their bullpen arms as where the Yankees threw Masahiro Tanaka and he went five innings of like one hit. Yeah. You know, no team worth their salt is going to throw an opener in a World Series game. Unless you are confident in your matchup to matchup abilities, especially this year with a three batter minimum, if you throw an opener, you're really just asking for you know, you're you're just asking to be laughed at at the end of the day. For all we know, the Rays do have an opportunity though to because again they have that elite bullpen. There's no denying it. They've they've yep. worked with the opener the whole year. It, it, it might honestly be worth the worth the, 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 their time doing it. In the case that you throw an opener, let's say uh, where Blake Snell is only going to really go really go four or five innings, 
if you throw an opener and you use your bullpen early on and you bring in Blake Snell in that sixth, seventh, eighth inning situation where you have three very good innings and, and he basically does his, his, his usual starting routine from first pitch, at, at that point, you, you're looking at it possibly. It might actually be, be, be worth it. Because, and I use the Giants as an example. When Bruce Bochy uh, managed them from from 2010 to 2014, when they won the World Series those three those three times, if you notice the, those pitchers like Madison Bumgarner and Matt Cain would come in in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, shut the door, and yeah, they had they had starters there, but that team also had seven starting pitchers on the roster, but used most of them in long relief. So they so yeah, so they were able to run three or four innings with that guy, have a bullpen arm, bring in Bumgarner, close the door with uh, the closer I think think was Mark Melanson at, at the but, time. But 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 you know neither <coughs> there. I think that you gotta you can't look at what what's been done. I think you have to look at what your team has right now. And the Rays right now have three very good starting pitchers who can at any point of time go either four innings or eight innings depending on how they're pitching. So yeah. I think that the, that the the Kevin Cash is going to shake things up. He's that kind of manager. And I think that he's going to, you know, really give Dave Roberts some unique look. You talk about it in football all the time, different formations that just throw off defenses. I think that that's kind of the idea that are that's going to um, really get that could potentially get the goat of the Dodgers. But let's move on. Yes. So we're going to tra- transition over over to the NBA because this is where I, I didn't even realize this, this was happening until I looked at I looked at it today. So NBA free agency. I don't know if you know this. Started already. <laughs> it, it, really? it, 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 yeah, it literally seems like the NBA season has, has like it ended like last week. Yeah. It li- so apparently, what the NBA and Adam Silver said uh, this week was that they're hoping to begin almost on time, which makes no um, sense to me. So, so they want to. Isn't, isn't that like in two weeks? Yeah, but but they're saying they want to start around like early December. Okay. So yeah. essentially, play out your your regular season to try and get back on schedule with what. The regular NBA season would be usually they do usually they they start around now, but they 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 have the moratorium right now, which is basically uh, players who are who have player options can can opt in or they can uh, decline, and then then they can privately negotiate with teams uh, before the free agency uh, market begins if they want to make it a uh, make a signing prior, and then it'll be official come come the first day, but. With that being said, the moratorium is starting. Is starting. It started actually yesterday, and so I have a just like we did buy and sell with uh, with the NFL teams. I have a list of I don't know probably twelve, thirteen NBA free agents who they're not big names. Let's let's be clear of this. The NBA free agency cycle this year is not the strongest it, right. it'll ever be. Uh, Anthony Davis is most likely going to re, going to re, he is opting out, but will resign with the Lakers. And past him, the next best player is probably Demar Derozan. But once you get past the players who who have player options and, and are RFAs will probably end up going back to their teams anyways, the next best free agent is probably going to be the around, around the Montrose Harrell or the Fred Van Vliet type. So okay. we have 13 players. They're, they're game changers. They could certainly change the course of a game, but they're not the LeBron Jameses and the Kevin Durant of the world. But I want your take. <laughs> right. Those are, those are normal. Should they stay? Should they go to a certain team? Where do they kind of fit? And we're actually going to start with Fred Van Vliet in Toronto. Yeah. Unrestricted free agent, probably going to demand roughly $70 million. What do you think? I have some big, big contracts for that kind of guy. Uh, you know, that's a guy that 
plays second fiddle to Kyle Lowry and and Pascal Siakam right now. You know, he's he's there. He is their spot up three point shooter. And there's something wrong with that. You know, every team has one of those guys right now. And I think that at at this point in time, I think that if he were to go and make his money somewhere, I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the Clippers. And you know what? That sounds kind of crazy considering the fact that, you know, that Toronto's got a good team already and Fred Van Fleet's been a team player. Uh, but he could go to the Clippers. He's won a championship with Kawhi. He would fit in nicely with Paul George as a distributor. Not to mention, you had then have the option to, point, to push Lou Williams to the shooting guard position, something, or, or or flip flop Fred Van Fleet over to the shooting guard position. You know, there's really, um, you know, you could really just make a lot of a lot of unique looks for uh, a Clippers team that really just underachieved last year. And I think that if you have Fred Van Fleet over in that system, I think that you then are opening up a world of opportunities beyond the one-two option of Kawhi and PG. And you have big egos on that team and Lou Williams, and I think that a guy like Fred Van Vliet will just kind of even that out. I do think Fred, Fred Van Vliet should have no problem staying in Toronto. I think he's, he's he's still a viable option. Kyle Lowry is still under yeah. contract for another year or two. Pascal Siakam is still having... Uh, an all NBA kind of career so far. The only question mark now is that without without Marcus and Serge Ibaka, who who Gasol has confirmed he's going to FC Barcelona out in or Real Madrid, one of the two teams. There, it, 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 it's a pro soccer team team both in the soccer world and the basketball world in Spain. Regardless, he's going to Spain, and then yep. uh, Serge Ibaka will be a, will be a free agent. So. They have big man troubles. They don't really know who's going to be starting down there outside of Sia- outside of Siakam. But Prevent Fleet yeah. should have no problem staying in Toronto. Honestly, the- oh yeah, I don't think so. But if he went anywhere, I I would I would like him to end up in LA. Yeah. Uh, second player is going to be Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Utah Jazz. Okay. Well, here's where I here's where my NBA here's where my NBA knowledge is going to wear thin because um, <laughs> obviously I know that guy. I know Bogdan. But Utah was a remarkable team this year. You know, they you know, they were oh so close, literally like a millimeter from moving on uh to play uh in the next round of the playoffs. You know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of fate was the reason why they didn't. Uh and, and they blew a three one lead. So, you know, you are a good team. You know, you don't have a you know, you don't have the inability to to try and and recreate that, you know, I think that they could definitely go and try and, and, and bring in another, another weapon on offense to compliment Donovan Mitchell. But um, I see him staying with, with, with ease. Absolutely. So the jazz didn't have Bogon uh, throughout the playoffs. It was a huge loss to them. They were essentially a whole different team. And I think that was, that was, had he been on the floor was probably going to be the reason why, they would have won. I think he'll probably end up staying in Utah. But if there's any team he goes to, I think he should go back to Sacramento with the Kings. The Kings are, in my opinion, one of the best teams that no one cares about, mostly because of the fact, fact that they're in Sacramento. Yeah. But I love going to their games, by the way. Their games are electric. <laughs> but like between Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, and uh, they don't have Willie Colleston anymore, I don't think. But they still no, have they still have a rock solid core. And you add a player like Bogdanovich who could play the point guard and and the small forward. He's one of those weird hybrid players, kind of like a Ben Simmons. He has the ability to to really transform what your team can be. I think Utah, if he ends up staying, is gonna they're gonna thrive with him so long as he's healthy. Well, uh, 
with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Even even with Mike Conley, who's a he's a player option this year. We'll see what happens with him. But I think Bogdan's probably going to end up staying. If not, go back to Sacramento, win something with them, and hopefully bring them back to the playoffs. From the Denver Nuggets, Danilo Gallinari, the Nick legend who didn't pan out. Who is that guy? Okay, so Danilo Gallinari, uh, for those of you who don't know, was the small forward on was well was the starting small forward until, until Michael Porter Jr. started to make his mark in Denver. He played for the Clippers uh, for a while. He was a part of the trade out of New York to the Denver Nuggets uh, in exchange for um, for for, for uh, Carmelo Anthony. So Danilo Gallinari averaged averaged roughly fifteen and seven. Uh, this past season, I think he's a great option. He's an, he's another one of those transcending players, kind of like a Bogdanovich, who, who could play the small forward, could play uh, can play small ball if he has to. It, again, an, an, another reason why there's no reason to leave. You might as well stay in Denver, keep on working on your craft, keep on building. The only other the only other team I think would actually uh, benefit benefit from having him would, would honestly be the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks struggled struggled with with the deep threat when Kyle Korver wasn't on the floor. Eric Bledsoe wasn't wasn't necessarily able to put the ball in the hoop, and they had to rely too much on Giannis. Giannis needs pieces. He needs smaller pieces. He needs he needs what LeBron has worked with the last five years. Transcendent role players who know their role are able to are able to commit to their job and do a good job doing it. And Donald Gallinari is one of those guys. I'm sorry, Jack, that you don't know who he is. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, I knew who he was, but, you know, I, would, I don't have the information in front of me to just kind of, like, go on to a deep rant. I'm, again, my NBA knowledge is very thin, so just bear with me here. It's okay. Uh, next up, and I hope to God you know this guy, Montrez Harrell from the I'll L.A. Clippers. Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell's <laughs> a stick, okay? Six man, you know, why not, you know? Well, he said he's going to leave. What? He said he's going to leave. I believe he's going to leave. I believe so. That's news to me, but I wouldn't doubt it. You know, the NBA is probably the the the, the most chirping going on in that league in terms of like spilling the beans of where you're going to go. We all knew LeBron was going to the Lakers before he even made the, the finals with Cleveland. Oh, yeah, it, you know, like we know, we know these things ahead of time, so it wouldn't surprise me if he left. But if he left, you know, you know, he's kind of been that really good bench player, and it's evident by his sixth man of the year. So I think you know, if he goes somewhere, a team that really needs a big man. Boston really needs a big man. Uh, he could potentially fit in well there. Uh, you know, maybe he goes and he and he slides into Toronto. I, you know, another question. You know, he could go to a team like the Magic, who is on the brink and and could definitely use another guy over there. Of course, you got Boban, but, mm-hmm. um, or no, you know, Boban's over in um in uh, Dallas. But you know, the point point being, you know, you have guys over that you know could benefit from a veteran talent like Harrell and I think that he definitely could be uh he could be a plus just about anywhere he goes because big men this, these days as we all know are are very are very expendable yeah. and the fact that they can do a lot of different things and he's kind of that traditional that traditional guy that can that really just kind of sits under the rim and, and gets gets his gets his buckets and does it really well so I think that he would just be that that kind of good presence and, and he could go to a number of different spots but if I'm the Clippers, I'm doing everything I can to bring him back. I think I think Harold has three good spots if he ends up leaving LA. It's going to end up being Houston, Dallas, and Toronto. Again, Toronto has a big man issue. I don't I don't consider Montrez Harold a big man really. He he averaged seven 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 boards a game as as the sixth man on the roster. But 
he he doesn't scream big man talent. He's kind of that stretch four that if you're going to start him, he'll be able to kind of do it from both sides of the floor. Uh, again, all these teams do do need a true big man. Considering the big man in Houston was PJ was PJ Tucker who was six foot five, they would still benefit well from a six foot seven, six foot eight Harrell. And even in Dallas, you have your big man. You have pieces around him get, with yeah. Christos Porzingis and Boban. Well, I wouldn't consider Boban a bona fide starter, but regardless, this team has the ability to put up solid numbers. And having Harrell along with Luca and Kristaps and Boban and whoever else, whoever whoever else is thriving on that roster, Dallas could see a, a good jump. Another team possibly is Portland, uh, who has a big man issue with with Hassan Whiteside uh, hitting free agency. Again, we'll have to see what happens, but. For now, Harrell has no reason to leave. Uh, but if he ends up going, I think probably yeah. the number one option is probably going to be Houston. Next up is Heat do- uh, Dominator, I guess you could say, Goran Dragic, who had had he had he been healthy, probably could have at least pushed the Heat to probably six or six or seven against the sorry seven against the Lakers. I'm, I'm honestly but, take. Look, man. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for the injuries, the Bam Bam and Drogic, they probably could have gone seven. But Goran yeah, I mean, Drogic, where's he going? If any, if anywhere, he's not as pretty as Kemba, but he's pretty much just as efficient. So oh, yeah. I would definitely call him uh, one of those point guards that flies under the radar in a league that is dominated by talented point guards. Uh, he's that wherever he goes, he's probably going to want to start. So you know, a team like the Bulls. Could use a guy like him. Uh, of course, Miami, you know, would like to keep him. Although, you know, if for if if the Heat do land Giannis, which is one of my top four landing spots for him, I think that they would part with uh, they would part with Drogic and move Hero or Duncan Robinson, who's more of a traditional power forward. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, into that into that point guard position, but. You know, I, I think that there's a, there's definitely a number of different places where he could go, um, if not staying with the Heat. I think that, you know, keeping him, you know, he's kind of that same position where Kyle Lowry is, excuse me, Kyle Lowry is, um, you know, trying to find his, you know, or not Kyle Lowry, sorry, uh, uh, who, Fred Van Fleet, sorry, yeah, mm-hmm. Fred Van Fleet, you know, where, where could he potentially go? I also could see him going to a place like New Orleans, you know, Lonzo Ball, He's just disappointing, you know, in his in the way he carries himself and his, you know, lackluster performances. No matter how popular he and his family might be. By the way, that TV series just relaunched, and the new episode was electric. Um, I'm excited for it, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm going yeah. to go watch it, watch it after the program. Um, he could also go to uh, go to Dallas. I would love to see him go and play in Dallas. Steph Curry, not a not your, not a not a starting point guard. Goran Dragic is a starting point guard. So I could definitely see a a freaking hell of a team in Dallas. You just imagine Luka, Drogic, and Porzingis. I mean, that is that is probably the number three team in the West next year. Really? Uh, that's a pretty high praise. I'm going to hold you that one. So Hey, you know what? I, I, there's talent, talent rides deep. You know, it's what, it's what got Houston to where they were. So the last the last few few names before I get in, into my bottom three are all players who are either restricted free agents or have player options. I want you to tell me whether or not they're going to end up staying with their team or going. Obviously, RFAs are a little harder because teams could match. 
but most likely that they will. We're gonna start. We're gonna start off with your homeboy Gordon Hayward out in Boston. Um, Gordon Hayward, man, this is a this is a love, you know, a tough love situation because I love Gordon Hayward, and mm-hmm. he's a difference maker when he's healthy. The big the big problem there is the word if you know if he's healthy, he just hasn't been healthy, and it boils down to his ankle or his hand or his foot, and you really want to see a guy like that succeed because he's a guy that nobody hates. He's a guy that everyone wants on their team. He's a lovable kid. You know, he's, um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that just plays the game right. And unfortunately the game just hasn't been very kind to him these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly why he is in the position he's in where he is not going to get a lucrative contract because now he is going to, he's in a position where he, if he stays with Boston, He's not giving the Celtics a good chance of, of trying to rebuild with, with the limited salary. But if he leaves Boston, and, and it, it's going to be a really tough call for Danny Ainge to make, you know, could he potentially help bring a guy like Giannis over to Boston? You know, that's a big question, and it's going to take more than just a Gordon Hayward to, to bring that. But, you know, it's, it's a big question mark. It's, it's something that needs to be answered, but I, I definitely – you know, I, it's really tough for him to, to get a, a big lucrative deal. I don't think they think there's any reason for Gordon Hayward to leave. At, at the end of the day, the Boston Celtics were the only team in the NBA that had four players averaging close to 20 points a game, Gordon Hayward being one of them. Had he been healthy, again, might have prob- might have probably taken out the heat in the playoffs, in my opinion. Had a absolutely oh, yeah. Without a doubt. An absolute lethal offense. There's no reason for him to leave. And like you said, the lucrative contract won't come. So in a career year, probably next year, sticking around in Boston will probably, well, it will most certainly boost his stock. Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans, he's a restricted free agent, so teams could bid for him, uh, and then the Pelicans will probably will more than likely uh, yeah, match yeah. the deal. But is it worth it to match for Brandon Ingram, depending Absolutely. on the price tag? Absolutely. You know, he's a guy that was in that Lakers system that, you know, just couldn't live up to the hype, leaves L.A., kind of flies under the radar for a season, and he becomes, you know, a, a, a really an underrated player on the New Orleans team, a guy that played well with Zion when Zion uh, finally made his debut, a guy that has played with Lonzo for his entire career. I've seen no reason why the Pelicans can't keep uh, him around, especially because they haven't seen him at his full potential and Zion at, at his full potential moving forward, because you want a guy that's going to be able to complement your other guy. Right. And that's going to be Brandon Ingram and Zion. That's, those are two young studs. And it's part of the reason why I think Goran Dragic could land up in New Orleans. I means they had JJ Redick. He was their veteran this past year, but you're going to want another guy in Brandon Ingram has already been there. He knows what's up. He knows the system. And I would definitely keep him around. There's no reason why not to. Um, but with with I do I do think that the Pelicans are on the brink of making the playoffs, and I think that it literally will come down to the fact of does Lonzo really want to control his future in the NBA? Because if he doesn't, I really see Lonzo ending up on another team as early as the trading deadline uh, next season. And it literally comes down to the fact that he just doesn't show the drive and the passion that the Pelicans want him to. It's the reason why the Lakers dumped him. I mean, it's really not as complicated as people yeah. think it is. So uh, bring in Drogic, uh, and you can dump Lonzo or move Lonzo to another uh, position, and all of a sudden you have, you know, 
a really, really talented New Orleans team in a, in a Western conference that's already um, just flush, flush with, with, with great teams. Speaking of talent, when, when Kawhi Leonard got dealt from San Antonio to Toronto, the return of DeMar DeRozan was supposed to be a big deal in San Antonio. He, he, he was supposed to come in, and essentially the team was supposed to build around him, and they were supposed to build a new, not, not a new dynasty, but at the very least a new playoff-oriented team under, under Pop that could grow. But in two years, DeMar DeRozan has barely gotten the, gotten the Spurs into a playoff spot. The, the team yeah. hasn't grown very much. And now DeMar DeRozan ha- has a player option, and he's a choice. Do I leave San Antonio or do I go somewhere else? I think it's a no-brainer you leave, but Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you, Steve. I mean, San Antonio, you know, as long as Pop is over there, it's, it's really there's no reason why they shouldn't be counted out. But the matter of the fact is, is that core of Ginobili, Parker, and Duncan is no longer there. And there's and if they really, it's, I think they're just ripping the Band-Aid off slowly, is what I like to say, by keeping Pop around. And uh, and it's not to say that he can't still coach, but I think that keeping him in San Antonio is, is really just for the fact that it's a legacy thing. And, uh, and it, it's, the only, it's the only real luring piece at the end of the day, but even then they haven't been able to get any options. Right, and I think that if they bring around a fresh face, you know, and I really hate to be – no one wants to be the first journalist to say Popovich needs to leave San Antonio. But the, someone's going to be the one, and, and it might as well be the, the college student who's going to fight for a job in two years. <laughs> um, Popovich should leave San Antonio, and it's literally for the only reason of, you know, they need to get a fresh face in there. And, uh, and DeMar DeRozan didn't even want to play there in the first place. You know, he goes and he – he goes, you know, and leaves Toronto, the team that he has embodied, you know, a franchise that has been broken ever since it entered the league, and then all of a sudden they don't believe in him anymore, and they go and they trade him for, you know, Kawhi Leonard, and it ultimately works out for Toronto. But for DeMar DeRozan, he just doesn't seem happy in San Antonio, and he is trying to work under a coach who is just telling you, I've been there, and just trust me. I think that DeMar has superstar qualities. I don't think he's superstar potential, but he's got qualities that make him a, a franchise-type player. Obviously, he's, he's more one-dimensional in the fact that he, can, he plays really good defense and he, and he scores well on the side of the paint. But, you know, there's just other opportunities that are going to better fit him than, than just sticking around and, and living out Pop's last few years as a coach. And finally, the player option available on Andre Drummond. The Cleveland Cavaliers have been basically a dumpster fire ever since uh, LeBron left, which, which again, is no real surprise to the fact that when LeBron left the first time, they only won, they only won 21 games. When he came back, they automatically won 50. So between Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, nothing's really working. Tristan Thompson's a free agent and probably will not be coming back either. Andre Drummond probably out the door. Where is he going to go? Where does he fit? Well, I'd like to say you could go back to Detroit, but, you know, that probably won't happen. <laughs> um, I think that I think the Knicks make a run at him. Oh, no. You know? Oh, I, no. You know, it sounds bad, but it's just something that the Knicks would do. It really would be. Uh, you know, RJ had a solid first year. You know, wasn't great, but, you know, you, if, you know, if the Knicks can make a move and, and maybe LaMelo drops down, you get a point guard that shoots, 
Uh, and then you also get, you know, a guy that can get the ball for LaMelo because LaMelo doesn't hustle at all on the, on the second end, you know, that's a match that could be potentially made in heaven. Not to mention Drummond's been there and done that, you know, he's been around in this league for a long time. He's, he's one of the best rebounders of all time. He's one of the best rebounders that the league has today. And, and a guy that could really help RJ and LaMelo in their development, I could see him going to the Knicks and call me crazy, but it's, I, you I mean, know what? I, I just see it happening. I see him wearing blue, orange, and white. I just do. Here's the thing. You're, you're not crazy for saying it. It's just, it's just, I wouldn't wish my worst enemy going to the Knicks at this point, but, <laughs> but Hey, look, man, you know what? I, I've seen weirder things happen. So now there's three final players really quickly. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but three guys who, are kind of they don't fit the mold of the NBA anymore. Carmelo Anthony, DeMarcus Cousins, and Hassan Whiteside. Whiteside, the true centerman, has no real point in the league, much like what an Andre Andre Drummond is. But he brings along some character issues. DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL with LA. He's he is a free agent. He probably won't come back because Dwight Howard had a had had an epiphany this past season. And Carmelo Anthony is just what? What's the next iteration of Mellow? Is it going to be the be the re hoodie Mellow? Is it going to be the cornrows Mellow again? We don't really mm-hmm. know what it is. The, bu- the bubble Mellow did great, but those three guys are any of them really worth rostering on a team? Um, of the two guys you mentioned, the only two that are worth rostering are uh, Mellow and Whiteside. Whiteside can stick around in Portland. They need a big guy. Yeah. Cantor isn't there anymore. You know, you need a guy for Dame and TJ, and, and it's really going to be Whiteside. They could also be a guy that 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 Harold Montrez Harold could go, mm-hmm. um, and and you know he could go and play in Portland as well. Um, Melo is is absolutely worth keeping around. He's 36 years old. You know, he's the same age as LeBron, and he was productive, and he's in great shape. That's the only two reasons you need to keep him around. Not to mention he's a veteran. And he's been there, and he's done that. And he also wants to win. And that's very apparent by the fact that he was out of this league and worked his ass off and got back into it. And so I think that as long as he just keeps that drive within him, there's no reason why he shouldn't be around to play. I heard a rumor that he might want to team up with CP3, wherever that may be. Obviously, it won't be in in, uh, Oklahoma City, you know, um, but – I think that there could be some potential to have them meet up somewhere. I, you know, who knows? You know, I would. I Mello deserves a, a shot to stick around. He doesn't demand very much in a contract. He's made his money, and he also um, signed for very little to come back and play with Portland, and he earned his keep. And I think that he can definitely stick around. I'm waiting for the day the Lakers trade like three first round picks, Danny Green, and. Somebody else get get CP three and then, back. well no no you, you trade for CP three and then you sign Mello and all of a sudden all of a sudden the the banana boat is back and then all you need then is Dwayne Wade as the cheerleader or the uh, assistant that coach or a, that is that is the dad squad right there that is the 2010s dream team right there uh, without uh, Kobe and uh, KG and and Pierce and Duncan. Just imagine a starting five where you have LeBron James, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Davis, and then Dwight Howard. You're basically looking at minus, minus Anthony Davis, the, the 2009 all-star team just aged 20 years. <laughs> it's almost freakish. Cool. 
that is your that is like <laughs> elementary school Jack. Just like, oh my god, that was so cool. And, and LeBron would have to like shave his beard, so he just has the like really scraggly goatee. Dwight Howard's still wearing the uh, Superman cape, running around like a little kid. Exactly. He needs so, to increase his vertical. His vertical. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's thirty-seven years old and washed up. So before we go, before we get to the blitz for six, uh, we have another twenty minutes left in the show, but. We haven't done this in a while, and it's it's our little daily dose of pop culture. This is our this is my favorite segment. This or that, Jack. Uh, it's terrible that that I can't see you across from me, uh, give me some facial reactions. But I'm going to ask you some weird ass stuff. Every single day this week is going to be uh, two things on television that I'm personally interested in on both ends. But I want to see which one you think is better. We're going to start with tonight, even though it's already passed. But what would you be more interested in? Surprisingly enough, the 19th season of The Voice. I didn't even know they had 19 seasons. But the 19th season of The Voice or Vernon Davis tonight is doing a cha-cha to a Nicki Minaj song on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) Vernon Davis, he was one of those guys that had great cha-cha celebration. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I would love to see that on Dancing with the Stars, without a doubt. Um, and The Voice, you know, I, I, there's too many shows out there that are singing, too many singing shows. Everyone, I mean, you know, you have the masked singer, you have undercover singer, you have this kind of singer, you have country singer. You, there's American Idol, The Voice, X Factor, America's Got Talent. There's just too many singing shows. Up. Give me dance, give me dancing. What's what's better in your opinion, v- Vernon Davis doing the cha cha or Aaron Rodgers hip gyrations? What? People look at that because that's like that's like our that's like our generation when we were kids and like people these like kids these days are like, like what the heck is that? And we're all just like yo that was like the funniest thing on YouTube when I was ten years old. <laughs> that, bro, that was Hingle McCringleberry. <laughs> it was Hingle McCringleberry. Shout dude, out Key and Peel. Key and Peel, dude. People don't know who Key and Peel are anymore because that. Like, believe it or not, that was eight years ago that duo was together. Oh, jeez. So. All right, yo, d- don't remind me. On Tuesday, episode two of The Bachelorette or or a new, 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 new episode, and I'm so happy to say this, of Whose Line Is It Anyway? If you don't know what Whose Line Is It Anyway is, you are missing out. Uh, Bachelorette. Really? I'm a Bachelorette kid. Ugh. Don't at me. I love that drama. I watched it with uh, the girl that I was kind of sort of dating at the end of last year before we got sent home. Uh, we, binged, we binged like the whole thing. Oh, no. Um, and, uh, and it was great. And now it's like I was invested in it when I was in high school a little bit more. Um, and oddly enough, it's always been around the time that I get, I get, I get, I get locked up. But, um, but you know, this year, I, you know, I'm just like, you know what? I'll do it for the drama. I'm a big Chris Harrison fan. You know, let's see what happens. Give me, give me, give me episode two of The Bachelorette. You know, I I, I know Dan Ball loves the show. Whose line is it anyway? With Drew Carey, uh, Wayne Brady was on the program for a while. That show is a riot and a half. It is so 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 funny. It like hold on a second. <coughs> Sorry for that. It airs at oh. like two in the morning on like CBS every every night. It is. A riot of a show. If you've never seen it, honestly, go on YouTube and just look up whose line is it anyway, like best moments, you'll die. On Wednesday, and I know you hate both of these, so this is going to be hilarious. The Country Music Awards or WWE NXT? 
Can I just not watch TV on Wednesday? No, you're forced to watch one of them. I picked a Q30 newscast. Boo, that's soft. <laughs> that's soft of you to say that. All right, fine. That was soft. Uh, that was soft. On third. Um, oh, sorry. Did, no, no, no. Did you answer I, here? If I, have to, if I had to pick one, oh, God. I hate them all. I hate them both, dude. It's really hard. I pick country music awards just so I can, like, so I can just pretend that I actually have a country. Or just so I can pretend that I can actually be as talented as those guys. <laughs> okay. So on Thursday, the. This one, in my opinion, is the hardest one because like you thought Wednesday was bad. On Thursday, the dumpster fire New York Giants versus the dumpster fire Eagles on Thursday Night Football, or the <laughs> or the final presidential debate. Well, okay, wait, wait, wait. Do you want to laugh or do you want to die? Because that is what you are going to what you are either going to laugh at how bad football is or you're going to die because you are so worried about our country moving forward you know it's i mean you can't or actually you you might also laugh at that too considering it's going to be be a bickering match but regardless i mean look man you know this is the most important election in the u.s in the history of the united states history of the world uh so i have to watch the debate but uh if i if there wasn't any if there wasn't anything else on i would watch football but you know Again, laughing stock of two football teams right now. So on Friday, and this is a personal favorite of mine, I have two shows, The Great British Baking Show or Love After Lockup, a new series where 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 a camera crew analyzes jail relationships. <laughs> <laughs> this is a time. All right, all right, hold on one second. I, I got to bring in the... Uh, the um, What's your call it? The uh, the Kawhi laughing on. <laughs> there you go. Oh man, there no, the, like absolute. Oh wow. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh jeez. You I, know, I, I can't right now. I've watched the British Baking Show a little bit. I, it's not as good as Gordon Ramsay, dude. Just isn't. Um, and that sounds hilarious. Jail relationships, dude. You know. I already see that going so terribly wrong. You know, who dropped the soap situation? Oh, 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 all right. I'm going to have to cut that out. Oops. That's, no, that's bad. <laughs> no, I mean, no, but you know what I mean? Like, that could already, that, you know, that could really be something that's pretty hilarious. So I'm a, I, it's always fun to see the other side of the wall. You know, what's, uh, what's, uh, what does it look like when people are incarcerated? I guess, you know, I call it, uh, I'd do the jail one. All right. Well, Hey, look, I mean, I, I'll be watching it. I remember watching a uh, like a maximum security like prison show, and there was a uh, so like the men and women are on different sides of the jail. So I saw it, it was like a thing where like there was like a relationship, and they were like would share a relationship through like like sticking post it notes to their windows, like writing like, writing like like messages, like with like That's with funny. like eighty post post it notes. Regardless, we have to get in to the blitz for six. There's a lot going on in the sports world that we haven't even talked about. One of which is what I find super interesting. On November 27th, Phil Mickelson will not be playing Tiger Woods. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. However, he's going to he's gonna tra- team up with Charles Barkley and take on Peyton Manning and Steph Curry at Stone Canyon Club in Arizona. That's, first of all, a really odd matchup. Phil Mickelson is, of course, hey. like e- eons better than the three of them. But hey, I, you, you know what? Steph what? Curry's a good golfer. I've never watched him golf before. 
And, and Charles Barkley, have you seen the viral clips of Charles Barkley golfing? I mean, I, I, I watched his swing, and it's disgustingly bad. It's ugly. It's ugly. And uh, I would honestly give it to Peyton, who's played in a professional tournament, as well as Steph Curry, who's also played in professional. Like, two professional golfers versus Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley. I'm going with two professional golfers. I mean, the purse is $9 million, so so, that, so they're just shelling out money. Uh, I, I don't think it's Phil Tiger, but... I think it'll certainly be worth it. I'm probably going to end up writing some sort of draft up article analyzing Steph Curry's basketball skill to his golf skill. The Louisiana government is reportedly expecting to allow fans in attendance in Saints games. However, because the Superdome is, is indoors, the goal is to do what Jack suggested all along, move the stadium to Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge. But according to LSU public health officials, they believe that they need more time to prep. So until then, the Saints are still without fans. But... Who knows? Yeah. Maybe this will begin a shift towards teams actually allowing fans and playing in college stadiums. Roger Goodell, if you are listening to this, just take my advice moving forward. I, I would be a better commissioner than you were, but with that being said, you know, please hire me because I'm going to need a job in two years. Legendary play-by-play announcer Mike Doc Emmerich has announced his official retirement. Where's the boo button on uh, on these hockey's? Hey, hey, he's been in the he's been in the he's been in the booth forever, man. Look, you know, he's one of the best. You know, wish him the best in retirement. He's he's one of the only recognizable voices, in my opinion, oh, of course, in hockey, with the exception of Gary Thorne. Um, but I, you know, congratulations to Doc. He did it right. You know, um, you know, probably just you know time for him to move on and, and do other things. But you know, I think Doc is for us young. Doc is absolutely fan- fantastic. The the NHL playoffs and the, and the Stanley Cup final will never be the same again. I think he was. He's a generational talent. I think he, yeah. it's him and Vince Scully. Honestly, the he's the, in our he's in our intro. He's in our intro. Yeah, like like the the two most influential voices in in sports sports commentary uh, outside of probably Joe Buck, even though everyone hates Joe Buck, has yeah. been Doc Emmerich and and Vince Scully. And even if you aren't a Dodgers fan, you know who Vince Scully is. If you aren't a Penguins fan, you know who Doc Emmerich is. But congrats, Doc. Honestly. Good for you. Yeah. Finally, you will, you will remain. You will remain in our in our show intro until the end. Oh, of time. Uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely. And even though the Jets seem to be dead in the water, Vegas sports books are still getting bets for them to miraculously win the Super Bowl. A forty dollar bet, according to uh, the Vegas sports book, can net you two thousand dollars. People are putting in bets for a thousand dollars to win a million. These absolutely ludicrous bets for the for the Jets to win the Super Bowl. It, I mean, it certainly isn't worth it, but I mean, you if, are stupid. Yeah, no, well, honestly, it, 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 it's again one of those one of those like laughing matters. Jack, winners and losers of the week. If you have anybody, yeah. who you got? Well, um, I see the World Series ending on Saturday, and I see Mookie Betts taking home his second. Uh, first, as a member of the Dodgers, I am going with the Los Angeles Dodgers. As my winner this week. And my loser of the week, once again, Ron Rivera. Shame on you. Kick the damn PAT, sending you into overtime and beat the Giants. I want Trevor Lawrence because Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback. Folks, that is it. From Jack Main on his couch, Stephen McAvoy in the booth, you've been listening to the Mac and Main Show. Be sure to follow us on our Spotify, our Apple Podcasts, our YouTube channel, the Mac and Main blog, and of course, on Twitter at Mac and Main for all of your sports news. Of course, uh, a plug that I haven't really done in a long time. Follow me and Jack on uh, on Instagram. I need the followers. I need them too. I need ja- some likes. You know, I'm finally breaking that 300 like mark per post. 
Oh, look at you, big guy on campus. Yeah, I post on Instagram like three or four times a year, but I make them good. So. I, yeah, like I, I haven't posted in a month, and it's been kind of lackluster, honestly. But hey, you know what? We're yeah. we're gonna try and do better. I know we said I, I know we had a lot going on this week. We killed two hours, and you know what? We're gonna be back at it again next week. Hopefully, Jack isn't in quarantine, and hopefully, whatever this is subsides. Yeah, I really hope so too. I want to get back in the booth. It's been two weeks. I'll, it'll be if I get back in next week, it'll be three weeks. Since I've been in the business. So. From Stephen McAvoy and Jack Mann on his couch, you've been listening to the Mac and Main Show on 98.1 WQAQ. Expert on everything, 11 o'clock. Be sure to tune in. you got an hour-long gap. Until then, enjoy the music of WQAQ. Thank you for listening to the Mac and Main Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main and like us on Facebook for updates about the show, news, and highlights around the world of sports. Make sure to listen to us Monday nights at 7 p.m. on 98.1 WQAQ or stream us live at WQAQ.com.